Chicago Portal. My coaches would try to tell me, Mika, you need to be meaner. You're so nice. Stop. So I attempted, and I definitely did not like that at all. So then I decided that I am just going to fence how I feel. When I stopped fencing, I was ranked number one in the world for why 12, and I wasn't happy when I was doing it. Mika Leach is a 13-year-old yoga teacher and sound healer. She was number one in fencing in the Y-12 division, and she was certified as a yoga instructor when she was only 10 years old. Her mission is to bring mindfulness to young people and to spread love and the idea that we are all equally human. Here's my conversation with Mika. How old are you? How did you get into yoga? What what happened? Okay, so I'm 13 years old, and how I actually got into yoga is a long story. I used to be a fencer, and I was very competitive in it, and I was fencing a lot. I was fencing at least 20 hours a week. How old were you? I was six or seven in between that age. And my coaches told me that I was getting very muscular from all of the workouts and fencing. Mm -hmm. So they told me I had to do yoga to gain back my flexibility. (laughs) But it took us like a while to find a yoga studio that would actually like take me in because I was so young and I didn't want to do like the kids yoga. And there were really no options for kids yoga when I was like seven years old. And we finally found this amazing yoga studio. It was Revival. And they said that they would try, but they're not promising that I could come back. As long as I'm not disrespectful or anything like that, I have to be good in the class. And it was amazing. I loved it. And they let me come back. Good in the class because you're so young. You yeah. Can so be then out of I hand. wouldn't like, just so that I wasn't like crazy because most kids wouldn't be able to handle sitting in a room full of adults and doing mm. like heated yoga. And oh, it was heated yoga? Yeah, I had. I started off with that because they said that's what gained back my flexibility. Mm. So then I went to one class and they said that I could come back. So I kept on coming back there. And then there was a sound journey coming up mm-hmm. at the same yoga studio. And me and my mom had no clue what it was. Yeah. Like we were so confused. So then we decided, let's just go. And if it's not good, that's only like an hour so that we don't have to do it again. So then we do the sound journey, and like immediately when I walk in the room, I'm like, Mom, I want to do this. This seems so awesome. And she's like, you're crazy. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be a taxi driver. So she was like, we all have dreams, and your might come true, but that's a little crazy. So then she's like, okay, well, I'll find you some stuff to do. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to find a yoga studio that would let me get certified for sound healing. And I wanted really badly to be a yoga teacher. So we found this amazing studio called Souter World. And they were let me in. And mm. I went to one of their sound journeys. And it was amazing there. And then I went to a yoga class. And I was telling this teacher about how I wanted to be a yoga teacher. And then she let me in. And what's her name? Her name was Vita. And I got certified at Sada World when I was only 10 years old. Mm. So I started when I was nine and she treated me like I was one of the other people because we were concerned about 
like my age, how young I was, like nobody really wanted me in their classroom because I thought I would be like really hyper and stuff. Mm-hmm. And were it, you ever hyper? No, I was never a hyper kid. I was yeah. very calm all the time, but I was training so hard in fencing. When I was actually getting certified for my yoga teacher training when I was 10 years old, I won the national championships in fencing. Wow. Yeah, so I that was in Y10's Women's FA for fencing. But then I got certified at 10, and I got certified in bhakti yoga. So it's more of like the breath work, chanting, and really more of not the movement, but like your breath and connecting back to like the earth yeah. and more of that type of yoga. Yeah. So that's how I got into all of that. Do you still fence? I actually stopped fencing a year ago because I was really taking my time and I was trying to stay in fencing, but I realized that this wasn't what I was meant to do because I was fencing for eight years Mm -hmm. and fencing just was a lot of fun. But it was a part of my journey and that's what led me into yoga and stuff. But I realized that if I really wanted to become this, uh, doing a lot of sound journeys and teaching a lot of classes, that I would have to stop fencing because fencing takes up your whole entire time. You Mm -hmm. have to compete across the U.S. And it was getting bigger and bigger as I was getting older. And I decided that this is not my purpose. My purpose is to help people one person at a time to get connected back to our deep lost roots that we have. So then I decided that I really needed to stop fencing because it was no longer a part of my journey. Yeah. Are you teaching right now? Yes. I teach classes at Solder World and Rising Lotus. I teach a bunch of classes. Like I do sound journeys and for families, actually, so kids could come and your family could come to that. Yeah. And it's where kids could go and experience a sound journey because I know most sound journeys you're supposed to lay still. But the point of mine is not that you have to lay still. It's you can move around as much as you want as long as you're respectful of of the other people and you're not too loud. Yeah. What's the age range of the people who come out to your classes? It really depends on the class. So the sound journeys is like, it's like the parents' ages. Sometimes even grandparents come. And the kids could go from, there was my youngest kid in that class was actually three years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) And in my other classes, sometimes they're a little bit older. Like I teach a period class for girls about how you're not supposed to be ashamed about it. There's nothing dirty about it. It's a There's natural a lot thing. of shame around girls who have periods? Yes. Yeah, so sometimes like every girl is like scared of it. Like they can't talk about it. Like they feel that it's something dirty or something that is just not good. Who but made them feel that way? Sometimes I think it's schools because... But I don't really know. It's honestly that I think it wasn't the parents who normally don't talk to them much about it, most parents. So then it's just really just a class for a bunch of girls to come together and talk about it. Did you feel that way when you had your period? No, because my mom, and I'm homeschooled, so I never went into the schools and I never felt that that was dirty. I know I could always talk to my mom about it. She always would tell me and remind me that like it's not dirty once you get it. It's so sacred. And I told my mom, I really, really want to start a class like that. And we decided that at Sada World, they were actually willing to let me start a class there. And it was amazing. Like the first class I did, everybody had like little goodie bags of like all period products. 
huh. and all cute little stuff like that. That's cool. <laughs> it was just like nice for girls to come together. Like it was as young as 10 year olds to like 15 year olds. Yeah. Just to come together and just to talk about it. That is cool. You said your mom told you it's sacred. Is yes. she spiritual? Like where no. did she learn that? She is not spiritual at all. She never was into yoga. She always used to sit in like the kids' waiting room whenever I used to do my yoga classes. Yeah. It was like she was the kid. <laughs> it was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. um, so she's never into all that stuff. When I first told her I wanted to get into like sound journeys and meditation, she's like, what? What even is that stuff? So then I, she's like, she always tells me that she feels that I'm teaching her how to go throughout all of this. And she says that I help her out a lot. Yeah. But I really thank her for all the time because she drives me to all the classes yeah. and stuff. But she always used to tell me that my period was very sacred and not to be ashamed of it. Yeah. Um, that came from my grandma. So she would always tell her that stuff. And mm. so then it kind of went into her. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Were, were you spiritual at all before entering into the yoga thing? I would, was very into meditation because okay. me and my mom when I was doing my schoolwork since I was homeschooled, we were watching some videos on like meditation and how the subconscious mind works. Mm. And it told you that like meditation is key. And we thought that that meant to stay confident and to stay present. So that really helped me throughout my fencing journey too. It really helped me so that even if I was losing a match, not to get mentally checked out. So I did meditation mainly because I wanted to become a better fencer. But then after a while of doing it, I somehow like fell in love with it. I was like, it wasn't anymore just because I wanted to become a better fencer. It was like a daily practice to help me throughout the day. Hmm. What kind of meditation did you start off with? I started off with just like maybe doing like a breath work or I had like a sheet of paper that would tell me what I needed to do for the day. And I'd have different stuff for like different days, like a busy day would be like a more calm meditation or faster, quicker, whatever it would be. And I would choose which one I wanted to do that day so that I would have a list to go off of, like maybe do this breath work, like square breathing. And then after that, like I loved meditating while I listened to like music in the background. There were meditation songs that I would find and I would love them. So then I'd write them down on each sheet. So then it would just be different for me every day. So when you're listening to the music, are you just sitting down listening to music and trying to empty your mind? Yes, uh, that would be what I would try to do most of the time. Sometimes I would just close my eyes and it would like take me somewhere. It just really, whatever the, like the sheet said or whatever really called out to me that day. Yeah. Wow. So you're homeschooled. Have you been homeschooled your whole life? I've been homeschooled since second grade. Why did you transition to homeschooling? Well, uh, it was actually because of fencing, too. And also, like, people at school were not so nice. But with fencing, we had to travel around. Literally every weekend, we were out of the state because I had to do a fencing competition. So then with school, the school would not be willing for me to skip days because sometimes it was, like, on a Friday or a Monday. And the school was not very acceptive or very loving over that I was like competing across the U.S. and training with coaches from the Olympics and they really did not like that. So then we decided that I would just not go to school anymore and be homeschooled. Yeah. 
do you miss being in school? I do not miss being in school. Um, you said kids were not nice. Yeah, so it was just like a hard year for me in first grade. Yeah. And what what made it so hard? Um, I remember it being hard because I had this best friend, and we were like in a group of three. And then the one best friend went over to another girl and became best friends with her. And mm. then she was really mean to us for a while. That's hard. Yeah. For a first grader, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. And then how do you? So this is my assumption with homeschooling is you're just by yourself doing schoolwork, and you have interaction with your parents. And what about interaction with other kids? Since I was a fencer, we would travel around the U.S. and mm -hmm. I would be able to talk to other kids that were my age. Okay. And it was very social because I did yoga, I did fencing, and I did a whole bunch of other stuff. My mom was always trying to push for me to make friends, and she was very nice and accepting over that. I was homeschooled so that she made sure that I had like all these connections with different people, or I was doing stuff so I didn't become socially awkward yeah. or anything like that. She always was very caring and loving, and she really made sure that I was talking to people. Like, I would have friends in different states because of fencing, so then yeah. I would get to talk to them all the time. And, yeah, that was how I would. And it's awesome because then when you wake up in the morning, you could just do your schoolwork with your pets. Like, yeah. Dude, your mom sounds amazing. She's pretty cool. Wow. Do you, do you have a father? I do. Yes, my dad is very loving and supporting. And he yeah. works on the weekday, on weeks so that, like, when I'm at rock climbing, he's at home. I see. But we do get to see each other a lot. Yeah. He's awesome. And, and when you travel, it's really you and your mom traveling. Sometimes, yeah, because my dad has to work. Yeah. So then he can't take off too many times. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you to your father. Yeah. Yeah. He takes me to rock climbing yeah. like, on Saturdays and stuff, so it's pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're 13, so you've been teaching yoga for three years? Yes. What were some of the challenges you went through? What, what have you learned over the past three years teaching yoga? Well, when I first started off with yoga, I was always very, very shy as a kid. I was just shy and I was not ready to talk to adults. Like that was my biggest fear was talking to adults. Yeah. And um, actually yoga helped me overcome that because like when you're a yoga teacher, you have to talk to people and it kind of like pushes you out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I felt that that helped me out a lot with that. Yeah. And I realized that if I write down what I'm talking about on a piece of paper, it will help me a lot. Even if it's just like little notes, mm -hmm. it helps me because personally, whenever I get nervous, I go off on the same subject for like at least 30 minutes and it's like rambling off about something that yeah. you don't need to. Yeah. How do you prepare for your classes? Is, is it all laid out um, for like the whole year or is it the week of you're like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm feeling. Uh, so I have classes that are at Solder World. So they'll be posted at Solder World. And we have to have them scheduled out. Mm -hmm. And then, like, how I set up for the classes is I first start off with saging the room and saging everything that I have there. Yeah. And then, well, everybody. Why, why sage everything? 
because saging is supposed to help clear out any negative energies and it's supposed to help balance out the energies of the room so that mm. when everybody walks in, I sage everybody just in case they're carrying like any negative energies or any bad energies when they walk in so that also we feel that like everybody is equal. Yeah. In your experience, do you feel like it works? I definitely feel that it works. I feel also the smell of the sage helps people just relax. Yeah. That's cool. Do you have an idea of where you want to take your yoga practice, your teaching practice, the sound journey thing? Do you have like a, a vision of where you want to go with it? Yeah, what I mainly want to do is I want to try to teach at schools and teach at schools mindfulness because I heard in schools with my friends that go over there and they, everybody says that the kids are just so mean and I really want to spread like love and make sure that everybody knows that we're all equal. There's nobody's better than anybody. Yeah. I see you, I see my mom, I see everybody that's right in front of me as equal. There's nothing different about anybody. Yeah. So what, where are you at with that? So right now I teach brownie groups. What's that? So it's like uh, Girl Scouts. Okay. So some schools will message me and ask me to like teach at their school and oh. I love teaching Girl Scouts or brownie groups or anything at schools I will definitely teach because that is like my main goal is to make sure that I'm teaching at schools to spread this kindness because I hear everybody's so mean nowadays yeah. and just disconnected I really want to change my generation because I everybody's just becoming so mean yeah and hateful I feel yeah and I just really want to help change my generation to become more mindful and positive. Like, I definitely want to go into schools and I want to try to travel around the U.S. to spread these mindful words. And then I, I like thinking about how everybody's equal and I post some of my thoughts on my page. Mm -hmm. why, why do you think these kids are mean? Why, why are they so mean? Well, nowadays it's like their parents are saying, like, that's just how my kid is. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just how he acts and teenagers are mean. Yeah. That's not how it should be. It should be where I understand sometimes you wake up and you're a little grumpy or something happens and you're kind of sad. I understand that. But nowadays, it's like everybody's just blaming teenagers for being grumpy. And that it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's just how my kid acts. It's fine. Yeah. But it should be taken into consideration how your kid is making other yeah. people feel. Yeah. I, I feel like that's, uh, that's how people today treat a lot of things. Yeah. Like, for instance, uh, someone had diarrhea. That's totally normal. We have diarrhea once in a while. Yeah. Versus, like, looking into why did that person have diarrhea? Maybe we can live a life where we don't ever have diarrhea. That's just a <laughs> gross example. Um, yeah, mindfulness. People aren't aware of energies. Like, for instance, if I cleaned up this room, it'll feel different. Yeah. It'll make my experience of life feel different. But a lot of people aren't mindful of that or that after eating and I feel tired, you know, a yeah. lot of people think that's normal, but that's actually not normal. <laughs> you should feel good after eating and have energy to do shit. 
because oh can can I yeah can you swear yes do your parents swear sometimes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and you know the only reason why we get tired after eating is because our body is working so hard to process the food and it shouldn't be working that hard so it's turning off certain parts of the body so it can focus on that you know but like a lot of people think it's normal to have food coma right and that's how i was and then i'm like i someone taught me that that's not normal and in the same way like you're saying kids being mean isn't normal and yeah. um how do you how do you feel like i guess meditation does allow people to be less aggressive and less mean are your uh, mindfulness sessions with the adults and the kids i mainly teach kids but yeah. sometimes there are family classes yeah. and once in a while i will do an adult class like yeah. a couple days ago i did a full moon ceremony at solder world mm -hmm. which is like basically it's like a sound journey and you just write down something that you want to happen in the next 30 days yeah and and something you want to let go of yeah and then something you want to bring in and then after that in the sound journey you're going to burn that and then there i had a speech that i wrote and it was about how everybody has became so like dark and mean and disconnected yeah and how we need to change that you know you talk about dark mean um how how are you experiencing that? Where do you see that? How do you see that? How do you know that? I happening? see it on social media a lot. Mm. Like a lot of people are very hateful of people who are like trying to make an impact or kids in school. Like I've had this with my past friends mm -hmm. and even like sometimes it's just like people just are really rude on social media. Yeah. What what social media are you using? I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And are you using Facebook and Instagram because your friends are on there? No, I actually have my page on there and I promote my business. Okay. Um, on there and I make sure that I have um actually my Facebook page name is Mindfulness with Mika. Yeah. And I have post share some quotes on there sometimes. I tell you guys about my classes that I have coming up and I make yeah. sure to put out like mindfulness so that even if you don't come to one of my classes, you could still know that we're all equal and I share my thoughts on some of these things. So in your mind, you're framing it as a business, right? Yes, because I have my own LLC, so I put all <laughs> of my money well hold on, hold, on, hold on okay so you have your own, you have your own L how old are you again i'm 13. <laughs> are there other 13 year olds with llc do you know um i think there are a couple but i don't really know anybody else who has an llc yeah okay so you have an llc like do you know a lot about business or are your parents doing a lot of the organization of that how, like how are you involved with the business are you just teaching so i teach classes so i have a coogan account so that i could have my llc a what account a coogan so it's an account where a percentage of your money goes until you're 18 is when you can ac uh, access it and 
it's basically because somebody's mom or dad stole all of their money when they were a famous actor. Mm. So then when they were 18, they had no money left. Mm -hmm. So then this was a, an account to help you protect that. Is it, is it law? It is law in some states, like in Illinois, it is one. Okay. Um, How much of the money that you make goes into that? I think sometimes I would put like all of the money in and sometimes it would be like 50-50. Oh, you get to choose how much of the money goes yes. into that. Yes. As long as you put some of your paycheck into there, at least, I think it was like at least 15%. Okay. It goes into there. I could be wrong on that. I think it was. What are you going to use that account for? You could do the minimum 15% and use the rest of the money to buy clothes, buy, you know, like spend it. Yeah. Why, why aren't you spending it? I'm trying to like save up for when I'm 18 yeah. so that I could like start off my business even more so that I could like travel around and teach at schools and teach all over like the U.S. Wow. Not a lot of 13-year-olds are thinking that way. That's for sure. And to know that, it, yeah, it takes money. You're probably going to lose money yeah. traveling and teaching at schools. And um, you know what, though? I mean, you're 13. You have five years till then. And as you keep building up your social media presence and keep teaching, I think by that point, you'll probably be traveling and not going negative doing that. Yeah. that that's what I think. It sounds like you're doing smart things around your business. So as, as a 13-year-old, what do you think about money? What is money to you? What does it represent? I feel that sometimes money is like energy. What you give out will always come back to you. So if you use it mindfully and you're aware of it, then it will come back. But if you use it hatefully then it won't come back to you. So I feel that if I do good deeds and keeping my classes a little bit lower in prices or just by shopping like at a thrift store so that also you don't have to waste new fabrics on clothing, that whatever you put out always will come back to you. I feel it's like an energy. Is that something you learned while training for yoga or where did you learn that idea? I don't really remember where I learned it from. I know nobody really told me that. That's just how I've, I felt. Like when I started my yoga teacher training, I didn't really understand it yet because I was nine when I first started my yoga teacher training. Yeah. But for my, I think when I was more understanding of it was when I got up to nine because I had to save up half of my money to be able to do that because my parents were like, we're not going to pay for like your whole entire thing because... That's like a lot of money. Yeah. And we don't know if you're really serious with it. Mm -hmm. So then I had to pay for half of it. How, how did you pay for it? I used to go to the farmer's market and I would sell like little earrings that I would make or I would um, sell bracelets that I would make. And that's how I eventually got my money up to where I needed it to be. And actually Solder World helped me out a lot on that because they paid for my half. They gave me a scholarship to do wow. my yoga teacher training. And then I paid for the last little bit of the half that I had to pay for. So. You are a badass. Thank you. <laughs> you know what I think? I, I, I'll bet you there are people out in the country 
who would give you money to support you to travel and share mindfulness to schools. I'll bet you there's a shit ton of people who would do that. Because you know why they would give you money? You're not just all talk, right? You take action and you actually believe in it and you're for real. Um, what's your what's your practice right now? Your personal practice. So what I like to do is actually I have the sheet of paper that I made and it's called my daily mindfulness. And I do this every day if I can. Every once in a while, I won't be able to do it every day and I have to do it every other day. Mm-hmm. But what I do in the morning is when I wake up, I like to go and I go to my daily mindfulness. I light a couple candles and I choose out which one I feel is for today because sometimes it's like a really busy day or I have a really big class or it's just a relaxed day. So then I choose out what it is and then I do what was on the daily mindfulness. So it's normally like 30 minutes and it has like different breath works and journaling prompts. And then after that, I like to do a yoga flow and my favorite place to do yoga flows off of Gaia. Gaia is like a yoga app and it has a bunch of really awesome stuff on it. And when you say yoga flow, is that like a sequence of yoga yes. movements? Yeah. It's okay. like sometimes I'll do more of like a flexibility one because I'm feeling really tight that day or I'll do like a restorative one if I need to be calmed down. It depends on the day of what yoga flow I want to do. And then I choose my yoga flow and I'll do that. Yeah. And then after that, I like to go eat like a nice breakfast. Yeah. What's what's your philosophy around food? I don't really have a philosophy around food. I feel I like to eat whatever makes me feel good. And like Mm. one of my favorite foods, actually like grilled chicken and like salads. Those are like my ultimate favorite foods. So I was always a healthy eater when I was a kid. Like my favorite snack would always be cauliflower or Brussels sprouts. And I'm like, I don't know a kid who likes that stuff when I was my age. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) You are strange. Wait, hold on. Did your parents have other foods in the house? And you just, you decided, I don't like those other things, I like cauliflower and Brussels sprouts. Yeah, that was basically what happened. And like, because I needed a snack when I was at fencing for uh-huh. the longest time. And I would always tell my mom, no, I, I don't, I don't want that. I, I want this well, over well, here, like the Brussels sprouts, the spare yeah. green pepper and different stuff like that. What was the thing that you didn't want? Like, what would she all usually bring? She would like always bring like a chocolate granola bar or something that had, and I did not like those at all. Why? Because they I taste don't know, so good. When I, but not to you. I like them now, but when I was like seven, I thought they were disgusting because I didn't like what was on the inside of it. Yeah. I like nuts and I like trail mix and all that stuff, but I don't know. I just didn't like the flavor and the consistency of it. I yeah. liked broccoli and all of that stuff instead. <laughs> Maybe, do you believe in reincarnation? Yes, I do. Okay. So, if reincarnation really is a thing, maybe in your past life you were, you know, on a a spiritual path. And then on this life, 
because of that past life, you're really sensitive to processed foods. Generally, processed foods aren't good for you. Maybe innately you were sensitive to that. So your seven-year-old self was just listening to its body. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's my assumption. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you, you still eat like that, the cauliflower and the Brussels sprouts? Yeah, I still eat like that sometimes. Not as often now because it's like we're on the go more. Yeah. And we don't, sometimes we don't have time for that stuff. Yeah. But I always definitely try to be mindful and aware of that. Yeah. When you're on the go, what do you usually grab? I normally grab when I'm on the go like a yogurt or something fast and easy. Yeah. Or sometimes it's like, and sometimes late at night, it's like you get home from climbing because I get home at like 10. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I just want to go to bed sometimes. So then I grab like a quick ramen or something. Mm. What, what kind mainly of ramen? A chicken flavor. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But I mainly try to eat healthier. and But sometimes it's okay for that stuff. Yeah. You know, sometimes I feel like as a kid, it, maybe it doesn't matter as much. No, it probably does. Because I feel like kids are so resilient. They can eat pizza every day and they'll be okay, I feel like. Yeah. But I don't know how much of that is true. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. How how often do you meditate? I definitely try to meditate every day. Yeah. But sometimes I can't meditate every day because just how busy. Yeah. And but for yeah. usually first thing in the morning? Normally first thing in the morning, but sometimes I teach actually special needs yoga in the morning and every other Friday. So then I do my meditation after that. Okay. Special needs yoga. Yes. So I teach it so then that they have the same experience as us so that they could feel yoga and they understand how to like move around and feel good. And I also do meditation in that class too and teach them how to meditate. So these special needs kids, like what, why are they special needs? What are they having a hard time with? So normally they're with Down syndrome mm-hmm. or autism yeah. or stuff like that. And I also teach special needs adults. Okay. So, like, with Down syndrome and autism, like, what what do they have a hard time with? Because I, I don't know. They just details. have a hard time, like, focusing in on some things mm-hmm. or balancing. So, in yoga, you have to do more of, like, a seated yoga or make sure you're not doing a lot of balancing poses. Yeah. And not really, really fast. And you have to do it, like, fun yoga. Like... Maybe there's like a firework pose where you jump up and you say, boom, it's like a firework exploding yeah. or like cat cow. So you can't do normal or else they'll check out. You can do normal. It's just they're not as focused in on it. It's yeah. like in normal yoga, sometimes you do get checked out on the days that you're not really feeling it. So mm-hmm. then even for adults or kids to add in these fun little things that you have, like saying an affirmation out loud while you're doing yoga, like I am amazing yeah, or something like that helps you just focus in a little bit more. How did you learn to do that? Was it, was it a learning process? So I first started off and I really, really, really wanted to help teach them. And actually at my climbing gym, there was somebody that went there that helped with them. 
and I forgot what the program was called, but I volunteer there now, mm-hmm. and we met up with him. So right then it was summer, and he said that I could try to teach a class of them outside in a park. So then I went out, and I taught a class, a group of them, and everybody loved it. All of them actually focused in, and they were honestly very impressed with me, and they said that they wanted me to come back more often to teach more classes, and that everybody was very focused, and they weren't, like, goofing off. And then throughout the times that I taught them, each time it would get better and better and better. And now people, like, that were not able to speak, like, they're not vocal, were doing yoga poses and actually doing the movements and trying to participate in it where normally they would not be able to even try to do anything like that. Hmm. That's cool. Um, do you, because you're on social media and you have a lot of, I'm sure you get a lot of attention because you're so young and you do all these things and you're an amazing human being. Thank you. Right? How how do you navigate all that attention and keep your core intact? Because I feel like it would be hard for me to be myself right. all the time. Yeah, so what I like to do is I always talk about on my page about feelings that I have or about the messages that I'm trying to send out. And I try to do this a little bit often, not too often, though. Um, I do a meditation to make sure that I'm on the right path and I know what I'm doing and just to clarify that so that if there's something that no longer serves me anymore, like fencing, like for the longest time I was doing it just to do it because... When I stopped fencing, I was ranked number one in the U.S., number one in the world for Y12. And I only didn't stop because I was at the top of the top and I wasn't happy when I was doing it. And it just felt like another mindless thing to do. Like everybody watches TV at night or everybody does something, but it's not really helping you do anything. It's just kind of a thing that you do in your journey. So how I actually found that out was because I started to feel that I wasn't able to teach as many classes as I wanted to teach. And I wasn't able to do as much stuff. So then I did a really huge meditation and I asked myself, like, is this right for me? Like, I know that I've been fencing for eight years, which is a long time. And I had well over like 100 medals and many of them were first place medals. And I asked myself, like, is this serving me anymore? Immediately it was, no, it's not. And then I decided that I wanted to stop fencing, even though my fencing coach was like, you're never going to get anywhere in life. Your life is fencing. You, you can't stop right now. And I told him, I thanked him for, like, all of the years that he's helped me for fencing. And I just left that gym. I walked out of that gym so proud And I realized that that wasn't serving me. And I feel that was a huge weight lifted off of my shoulders. So I make sure that I'm 
constantly asking myself, this is what I'm doing. Like, is this what I feel is right? And I always have the same response as yes, especially with my yoga and all of this. It's just really been helping me to make sure that I know this is like the right choice. Yeah. When you were fencing, how long did you live with, I don't think this is what I want to do anymore? I actually lived with that for like at least like a month. A month? A month or three or two months is about the time. And I kept on telling my mom, I'm like, I don't think I want to do fencing anymore. What did she say to that? She was like, what? This has been your whole entire life since you were four. You can't. (laughs) What? I'm like, yeah, but I want to teach more yoga classes. And then there was a fencing tournament coming up. So then I decided that I'm going to go there. And I still like it because I wasn't competing because of COVID. And my mom's like, that's probably why you don't want to do it anymore because you're not competing. So I went to the tournament. And then immediately, right when I walked in, in fencing, it's a very hard and mean sport. Like you do anything for yourself to win. Like if you notice that your opponent's blade is not working, you can't tell them or else your coaches will yell at you. And if you notice that the other person's hurt, you can't purposely take a longer break so that they could maybe get better or else your coaches will be really mad at you. And it's just a very mean sport. Yeah. Yeah. So then immediately when I walked in there, everybody's like on their own. Even your teammate, like the teammates that you talk to, they don't even help you anymore. They don't support you. They don't cheer for you. If you're in the same age group as them, they're not for you. They're for themselves. So then I went to this first, the competition in a while, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is not for me anymore. But now with rock climbing, is a very happy sport. It's like everybody will tell you beta, and beta is like how to do the route, how they did it. And when you're off the wall, they'll tell you like, oh, yeah, where you fell, this is what I did to get past that. Good luck on your next try. And they're not even from your team, and they're in the same age group as you. And it's just very more loving and kind sport. Yeah, you're not swinging things at each other. Yeah. Um, You said everybody's in it for themselves, like very competitive. Yes, definitely. Trying to get as much edge as they can. Yes. Were you like that too? No, I was definitely not like that. Not I at tried, all, ever. Never. I and tried, you still were number one. Yes. Uh, I, I always tried telling my coaches, like, I would tell the opponent if their blade wasn't working. And, yeah. And then my coaches would get so mad at me. They're like, you could have gotten two more points before they noticed. Why did you do that? Yeah. And... I tried just doing it to have fun. Like, my main goal was just to have fun, not to win. Yeah. Not anything like that. But you got to have that thing, I want to win. Yes. So I really wanted to get to the top to be the best, so I trained. Mm -hmm. It's not like I would try to, like, be mean to other people to get to the top. I wanted to let them know that, like, I'm going to do this without being rude. I'm going to be nice, and I'm going to be... Uh, competitive on the strip like you have to like force your way on the strip you have to let them know that you're in charge of the match but not meanly like I wanted them to know that but once you get off the strip we're equal we're the same when we're on the strip we're the same and when we get off you're the same to me if I beat you or if I lost to you 
And I really thought that helped me. And whenever I would get nervous, I would always use my breath works from yoga. And I thought that really, really helped me. And I was always tried to be really nice and caring to other people. And I think that definitely paid off. That helped me a lot because in fencing, it's so intense. And then you're trying to be mean and it's not helping you out. Yeah, as in you're saying that when you try to be intimidating, it doesn't improve your game. Definitely. Like, it made me more nervous. It made me, like, my coaches would try to tell me, like, Mika, you need to be meaner on the strip. <laughs> you're, you're so nice. Stop. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I can't do that. Like, I tried once, and I was like, that's not for me. They told me, like, to do it. So I attempted and I definitely did not like that at all. So then I decided that I am just going to fence how I feel. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel like there's a part of you that was like, I'm going to prove it to them that I can win my way? Definitely. That was definitely some of it. Like they would always try, tell me to be meaner on the strip or something like that. And I definitely wanted to prove to them, like, you could win being nice. Yeah, It's not, you have to be mean to be able to get to the top. Because all of, like, the Olympians and stuff, well, at least I met two Olympians, Kelly and Courtney Hurley, and they were, like, the nicest people ever. And they were very good at fencing. They were Olympians, and I trained with them. They were, like, my heroes when I was, like, six and seven and eight. And I went to one of the like camps that they had and I trained with them and I was so happy. They were always so nice and caring. Then now it's like, everybody's just so mean. Like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I just feel like in sports, like the people who are on the top are usually some of the most nicest people. I agree. Definitely. Right. I wonder if if that's because like they're already on top. So they don't, don't feel like they need to be mean because they're already winning but you you were always like that even when you weren't winning right yeah Yeah. I was I always tried to be never mean or anything like when I was at my gym everybody would try to be friends with you and stuff but they're not nice to you and they try to take you down in the gym like your teammates so then I really didn't talk to anybody when I was training, because it was like my time to train. Mm-hmm. How do you be competitive and nice? Because when you're competitive, you're trying to beat somebody. So, right? Because I feel yeah. like when you're trying to beat somebody, there's no space to be nice because you're trying to beat <laughs> that person. <laughs> how, how do you hold the two spaces? Um, it's, I think it's like two different things, like being competitive and confident in yourself is not being mean. Um, being confident in yourself is knowing when you walk on that strip that in your head you know that either way you're going to be proud of yourself and your parents are going to be proud or you walk onto that strip knowing that you guys are completely equal. Like what helped me a lot was whenever the scores would come out, I would have no clue who I was going up against. I wouldn't look. I would only look about until I got onto the strip. They would call out my name. My parents would tell me when I had to go up and I would go out on the strip not knowing what I was ranked. So if I was ranked first or last and if I was going up to first or last and I would fence them my best that I could. But 
Like when you're in a sport, competitiveness and meanness is different. In rock climbing, you're very competitive. Like you try to win on this, but you're still nice to other people. It doesn't mean that you have to take down people to achieve your goals and stuff. Yeah. You were talking about before you go on the strip that you don't pay attention to who you're competing. Like, wait, can you go go through that scenario one more time? Yeah. So there are pools and DEs, direct eliminations. So in the pools, you would fence as best you could. I wouldn't know who I was ranked in this tournament. I didn't know if I because was first. You, you consciously decided I'm not going to look until um Yes. Because sometimes I would feel that if I was last, I would get a lot of pressure placed on me and that I would be extra nervous. Like if I was last place it would, and I'm going up against somebody that's really, really good, like, oh, no. But I felt that this really helped me. And I had no clue what that person was. I, I would forget about all the matches that I've had with them. I would try to forget. And I just went into this moment where... I fenced my best that I could. And then after I came into the direct eliminations, I wouldn't look at my score. My parents would tell me, you're going to get up against blah, blah, blah. But you wouldn't know what they're ranking. I wouldn't know their ranking. I wouldn't know my ranking. And on the, you have to sign a card after every single thing that you do. So then I would sign it, but there would be your places on it. And I would choose not to look at the placements. So then I would just fence my best. And I felt this also helped me not be so mean because if they were like first place or if they were last, like if I was first and I was better than them in the TEs, it would be like, you're already like, oh, this is going to be so easy. And then you get mentally checked out. Yeah. Where if you're last and going up against somebody really good, you're like, oh my God, this is going to be so scary. I don't know if I'm going to do good. And you would get mentally checked out. So then I thought that always really, really helped me uh, so then I made sure that I was just staying in the moment, breathing, and I tried my hardest, and I did amazing. Even if I didn't finish first place, sometimes I would lose a match that I shouldn't have lost, like a girl that I always beat. But that was something that you trained through. It's not the end of the world. Did and you come up with that strategy yourself? I did. I came that, up with that wow. by myself because my coaches would always tell me, make sure you look at your scores to know that you're, who you're fencing and if you have to push harder. And I'm like, no. Uh, I feel like you just did everything opposite of what your coaches told you to do. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Be mean. No. Nope. Look at the score. No. And I'm still number one. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, how do you deal with losing? Um, so how I deal normally with losing is like my fencing coaches would tell me like, that's a big deal. You can't lose a match. Yeah. How but does that make you feel? When I first started fencing, I would care if I lost because that's what they told me. And I would get really frustrated. Mm -hmm. But then as I got older and older... Like my last year of fencing, I wouldn't care so much if I lost. And I that was would, when you were 10, right? Yes, this was when I was like 10 and 9. And By the I way, would, that's young, right? <laughs> it's interesting hearing your psychology around this whole thing because I feel like this applies. Like I'm learning from you as a 36-year-old, your mindset. So 
continue. So, whenever I lost, when I was younger, I would always get frustrated, mm. and I'd be like, "Why did I lose against this person?" But then, as I got older, from my last year of fencing, I decided not to get mad, and I decided that I'm gonna stay happy, and I know I tried my hardest. And I did my best that I could that time, of that point of the day. It was the best that I could do. So then, after I set off that mindset, I became to get a lot more successful, and I actually won the national championships. And that's how I won. I didn't lose a single match throughout the whole entire round. I, after pools, I was placed first place. I didn't look at my score until the end, and I ended in first place. Like na the national championships for Y10 Women's FA happens only once a year, and I took that whole entire title for that year. Only one girl could win that. I did, but I think that was because the competition before that I was doing really good, and this was a really good year. But another thing that really helped me was whenever I lost, I would make sure not to get upset with myself. Like, why did you do that? That was a stupid, or like the. Normal thoughts that go through your head when you mm -hmm. lose, and I would try to tell myself when those thoughts came up, like that's okay. I did my best that I could. That's fine. That voice is that. Do your parents talk to you like that? Where Where did that voice come from, or did you self generate it? My mom talks to me like that. Like yeah. you did your best, and that's completely fine. And I'm completely proud of you. I'm not mad of you at you. And that was so amazing that you even went up to fence this person. Do you feel like if your mom didn't have that voice, if you, it didn't exist in your life, that you would be able to come up with your own? I think that my mom. Positive. My mom was definitely like a big help. Yeah. Because she was always super supportive, and my dad. He, they were, they didn't care what place I ended up getting. They just said that I needed to try my best and had fun. And my mom and my dad. Would always talk to me like you got this, being super supportive, and like you know, just like how a parent should talk to their kid. Like it doesn't matter if you win or lose. Like my parents never really cared about school grades too much, and I'm doing very good in my homeschooling, and I think that helps me because I don't have that pressure of needing to perform perfectly for my parents' approval, or I don't have the pressure of my parents on me because. They were like always my friends, and they're like my friends now. It's um, they're always so supportive, and whatever I want to do, even if it's a crazy idea, like when I was eight, like I wanted to become a yoga teacher, they were really supportive of that. Even though they thought it was a crazy idea, they were still super duper supportive. My dad was like, "Wow, that's a crazy idea," <laughs> and he would he just was like confused by that, and then. You'd still be super supportive, and even my mom. And I think that they really helped me a lot through this, even though that they weren't like spiritual or anything like that. But they definitely helped me a lot because of just how supportive and understanding, and how they were just willing to listen and be there for me. Yeah, growing up with your parents, were they more like do whatever you want, or did they have? Pretty hard structures too, like because I'm wondering how did you become you? Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, there's many philosophies on parenting. Right. Right. There's 
thoughts around boundaries. And, you know, right now, as I'm raising my son, my partner is telling me, don't say, oh, be careful. Don't say, like, you can't do that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I feel like the spirit of your parents isn't, you can't do that. It's more like, do it. Do what you want, right? Yeah. How, how, how did they not have the house crumble doing that? You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand what you mean. Um, for my mom, my grandpa is really strict with her. Mm-hmm. So she was always like, when she was a kid, she's like, I'm, I'm going to be the best parent ever, and I'm going to let them do whatever I want, they want yeah. to do. So what happened was she would obviously tell me if something she thought wasn't a good idea or... How, how would she tell you? She, would, she, would she sit you down and tell you, this is why you shouldn't do X? Yes. So that would be kind of close to what that was. So how I started fencing was because I went to a basketball class with my, one of my friends, and he was a boy, and we wanted a carpool somewhere. So then we went there, and my, the fencing coach was the basketball coach. So then he's like, you should come and fence. He wouldn't tell my friend. He would only tell me. Like, you should be a fencer. That would be awesome. You'd be really good at it. And my mom and me would get super weirded out. And we'd be like, we have no clue why he's following us. And my mom's like, I don't think this is a good idea, Mika. And she's like, you're like a princess. You're you're not going to want to fight with swords. You don't like anything like that. You don't like violence. Because I was really scared like not scared I was very scared when it came down to movies and stuff like that with swords and stuff like I couldn't even watch Pirates of the Caribbean till I was like 10 or 11 so then there was a competition coming up so we decided let's go tell him no you're a princess you don't want to do that but then when we went there I, I fell in love with fencing at first sight I was like I want to do this and she's like, what? That makes no sense. So then I decided that I wanted to do it. And she was really supportive of that. And she let me do that. But whenever she would like tell me no to something, it would be like understanding. And I'm trying to think of an example. Yeah. Um, so she has said no to you before. Yes. Yeah. Like one time I wanted to go train in Canada for fencing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Mom, I really want to do this. And she's like, Mika, that's not the best choice. Like, living in Canada, you wouldn't be able to see Dad. And it just wouldn't be, like, the best decision. I honestly think, in my opinion, that that would not be so good. How old were you? I was eight. Okay. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Really? I understand. Yeah. Cause you didn't try to fight it? I did not because I knew that she would let me do whatever I wanted to do. And she said that it was just not something that she, like when I get older, I could do that. Because mm. she wanted to make sure that this was like what I really wanted to do. Yeah, and you understood that in your eight-year-old brain? Yes, I, I was rarely told no to, not because I was spoiled. I was definitely spoiled, but I was never you acted were spoiled. like. I was never acted like I was spoiled. Like, um, What do you mean you were spoiled? My mom would always be very accepting over me, mm-hmm. and she would get me almost, like, a lot of stuff that I wanted. But if there was something that I couldn't have, I would understand that. Like, she would always tell me, like, that's not a problem. We could do that. And I don't know. I really 
I feel that I was very spoiled as a kid. Like my grandma would always get me stuff. She would always like spoil me, but I never acted spoiled or, you know, how once you get everything you want, you just know like, oh, I want that. And then they're like, okay, it's not something like that. It was more of something like, can I try this out? I was interested in toys and stuff, obviously when I was a kid, but I was more into sound healing and crystals than I would always play like Reiki or mini sound healing with my friends when I was a kid. And my mom would always tell me, okay, we could do that, but we can't afford that. So I'll get you that for your birthday or mm. something like that. So it wasn't a no, it's like, not well, right now, but later. Yes. So yeah. was it mostly like that with the conversation where you can't have it right now? It was... Yeah, it was mostly like that. She was very accepting. And even now, it's like we really wanted to go to Florida. Now we're going in one month. But for the longest time, like last year, she's like, we can't do that right now. Like with all the COVID stuff and the flights are really expensive and we don't really want to drive out. Uh, so then she's like, next year we'll do it. So this year we're going to Florida, which is really exciting. And we're actually going to see Trevor Hall play in Colorado and like, a week yeah and it's really exciting because he's like my favorite musician ever and the show in chicago was 16 and up <laughs> 18 and up and i was so just devastated my mom surprised me with the tickets and she's like yeah we'll go but we could only go there for a couple days which is awesome because i always dreamed of going to one of his concerts so she's very loving and supporting and so is my dad he's coming with us to see trevor hall that's awesome we're going to Red Rocks to see him. Wow. Yeah. Are you, are you an only child? I am an only child. Yeah. Interesting. That is cool. Thank well, you. How, what about your dad? Did he tell you no a lot? My dad did not really tell me no a lot. He would be a little bit more strict. Yeah. Like Around what? Um, like when I first said I wanted to be a yoga teacher, he'd be like, you're crazy. Yeah. And stuff. Kind, but of, then, kind of saying no? Kind of. Not totally saying no, yeah. but he was a little bit more hesitant with the idea. Yeah. I guess it was the right words for it. Um, and my mom's like, well, let's just see if she's really into it. We yeah. could have her pay half. Yeah. And that was an agreement. But he's not too strict. He's not really strict at all. Mm. And I'm very grateful that I have them because I don't think if they were as loving and accepting of... Like, my journey, I wouldn't be where I am. So I thank yeah. them a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Because yeah. I'm always searching for how, how can I be the best father to my son? So I'm always looking out for, you know, what are other people doing? Yeah. What I think helped me the most was that my parents were always open-minded. And they didn't tie me down to one thing when I was little. Like, they didn't, like push me into something when I was too young to know what it was. Yeah. They kind of let me do my own thing. Like they got, they let me see what I liked. Like when I was little, I loved it when my mom read books and she would always let me choose what book we got to read. Even when I couldn't talk, she would be like, she would like go like this and I'd go like, no. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I would like shake my head and then I'd finally go the one that I wanted. I'd point at it or something. And I feel that was very helpful of like how they were just always so accepting and like they always used to tell me like we'll always love you no matter what we'll always help you 
and just how they were always so caring. And that stuff was really, really helpful. Yeah. Wait, you remember your life when you weren't even talking yet? No, my mom always would tell me stories uh, of it. She's gotcha. like, yeah, whatever. Every single night, I would try to choose a book for you, and you'd have to choose it. Yeah. And you'd be like, nod your head and shake your head. Yeah, that's Whatever cool. it was. Do you feel good? Yeah. Cool. Awesome.